Thank you so much, David. How's everyone this morning? Doing good? How good is it to be back? Yes, there was some excitement there, which is awesome. I went away on holidays for a little while, and I'm genuinely stoked to be back. I genuinely missed you guys. I love gathering with the people of God to worship God and to do church together. It's just such a good thing for my heart. Uh, we have some family news. Uh, we had our first elders meeting. Was it last week? It was. It's been a busy couple of weeks back. We had our first elders meeting, which is awesome. Um, Ashley Robinson, our worship pastor, is pregnant, and so her husband... <laughs> Her husband Nathan and Ash are just so stoked, and we're just so stoked. We're multiplying the church uh, by having babies, which is cool. Um, and the most important news David's got a girlfriend. <laughs> He's so stoked that I told everyone that. So stoked. Hey, but this is the start of Vision Month, and we'll be spending four weeks where we as a ministry team believe God is calling us as a church family well into the future. And before I get into it, I'd love to pray. So would you please join me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, your word is living and active and powerful, Lord. God, I pray that you would empower me, anoint me to preach your word with grace and truth. That, Lord, in the end, that they wouldn't look to me, but they'd only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. You might be sitting there and you're new to new life and you're like, wow, they do four weeks on vision. That's a lot. Or you might be a long-time member of new life and you're like, what? Four weeks? We only ever do vision Sunday, just one week. What is going on? Why are we spending four weeks on vision? Well, New Life Church passionately believes that the greatest question we can ask ourselves is not are we, what are we going to do as a church, but who is God calling us to become? And in Matthew 28 clearly states the mandate of the church, which is to all believers. It's you, it's to me, and that's to go and make disciples. Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them, his disciples, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Not only are we are called to be disciples of Jesus personally, but we're actually called to partnership with the Holy Spirit to make disciples, to make followers or apprentices of Christ. And this is best encapsulated in the mission of new life. You'll hear us saying this all the time. We exist to see more people, more like Jesus. And before this is a statement, before anything else, it's actually a statement of becoming, a spiritual formation. It's an apprenticeship. It's a statement of discipleship. So how will new life prioritize the mission of God through discipleship? Well, there are these four lenses or four priorities that are close to the heart of new life because we believe they're close to the heart of God. And we as a church, we believe we are called to join the work of God as we gather the lost glue people into community, grow as disciples of Jesus, and go on mission. Let me say that again. Gather the lost, glue into community, grow as disciples, and go on mission. We believe as a church, if we make these four things our priority, we will see, naturally, the fruit of that will be more people, more like Jesus. 
What does more people more like Jesus mean? It's not that we want to build a mega church and have thousands of people come. We want to see people come to know Jesus, Lord and Savior, to put their faith and trust in him and not just stay there, but to become more like him, to be discipled, to grow in the ways of Jesus. We want to see more people more like Jesus. And so we're going to spend one week in each of these areas, these discipleship priorities. And today we're going to be exploring gathering. What does it mean to gather people to the gospel? Now, at the start of Jesus' ministry, he starts calling his disciples to himself. And there's this moment where he's teaching the crowd. And he uses a boat to teach the crowd. And and in the end, Peter had been out all night fishing. And he says to Peter, hey, cast out your net. Take your boat out. Cast out a net. Peter's like, man, I've been fishing all night. And you don't fish at this time of the day. He's like, all right, because you say so, I'm going to do it. So he throws the net out. And lo and behold, there's a massive catch. And he starts dragging the boat. And there's this moment where Peter sees a glimpse of who Jesus is. And he looks at Jesus and he falls down at his feet and he says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. He's like, get away from me. Like, you are holy. You are something else. I am sinful. You don't know the kind of man I am. He's like, depart from me. And these are the words that Jesus says to him. He says, don't be afraid. From, from now on, you will fish for people. I love how Jesus uses these everyday illustrations to tell people the truth about God. Peter was a fisherman, right? That was his profession. So Jesus used an illustration that Peter could easily understand. In that time in Galilee, when they would go fishing, it wouldn't be with rods or hooks. It would be with nets. They would cast nets out and they would gather the fish into the boat. So what Jesus is saying to Peter is, I will make you into someone who gathers people to me. Just like you do in your everyday job where you gather the fish in, I'll make you someone who invites people or gathers people into relationship with me and my church. This is a promise from Jesus. It's it's a command, actually, to gather people to the gospel, to be forgiven, to be restored, to be redeemed, back into relationship with God through Jesus. What we're called to is simply gather people. In other words, invite them to come and see, to come and experience Christian community, And then let the Holy Spirit do what only the Holy Spirit can do. And that's bring conviction and salvation to all who repent and believe. Here's the cool thing. When Jesus says to Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of people, he doesn't go, right, did you hear that? All right, go off and do it. Like I've told you to do it, just go and do it. No. Jesus actually shows his disciples what that looks like. Jesus has a strategy for discipleship. And Jesus' strategy for discipleship, when you read the Gospels, we see that Jesus invites them in. And then he actually goes and does ministry and shows them what that's like. So we see Jesus doing ministry and the disciples are watching. And then Jesus invites them to to do it with him. And then Jesus invites them to do ministry while he's there and he's watching. And then Jesus ends up sending them out. He sends out the 70 and goes, all right, go out and do it by yourselves while I'm over here. And they come back and they report, even the demons were subject to us. They're amazed. This is Jesus' strategy of discipleship. It's, I'll do it. You do it. We'll do it together. Now go and do it yourself. And there's always this feedback of how they're going. It's this constant feedback. The problem is we're afraid of the word discipleship because we don't know what it really means. It seems like this foreign ancient word, right? Some used back in the first century. We don't use that now. But also we're afraid because we understand the weight and the command of Jesus in Matthew 28. And we don't want to stuff it up. So what we do is we just kind of just leave it over there and we don't get engaged in it. 
you know what? It's actually better to be obedient to Jesus' command and try than not try at all. And a modern word that can help us understand that's very similar to discipleship is apprenticeship. When I first left school, when I was 16 years old, I went and did a plumbing apprenticeship and uh, completed that apprenticeship. And it's interesting because it's very much like what Jesus did. You, you come along, you know nothing, and they send you out with a plumber and they start showing you how to weld. They start showing you what to do and you're like, oh, wow, okay. And then they give you a try and then they give you another try. And then ultimately you get to a point where they can say, all right, you need to put all the copper in this bathroom and weld it in. You go, okay, and they're there with you. And you get to a point where they go, all right, you do that bathroom, I'll do this one. So it's this constant journey of learning and discipleship. It's an apprenticeship. And we see Jesus showing the disciples what to do in Luke 19, verse 1. It's basic discipleship. He goes, come on, I'm going to actually show you how to gather people to the gospel. It's a story about a man named Zacchaeus. It says, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So we got this little guy. He's really short. He's in the crowd. He's trying to get to Jesus. He can't. He's like, I can't see nothing. So he, he makes up a plan. It says, so he ran ahead to where they were going and he climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going past that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he saw him. And he said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down, and they received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they complained, saying, he's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. All the crowd there, they're like, who is this Jesus guy? He's going to be at this guy's house? This guy is a sinner. A holy man shouldn't go and hang out with a sinner. And so Jesus goes and spends time with Zacchaeus in his house. They share a meal together. Jesus shares the kingdom of God. And Zacchaeus comes to this place of repentance, of belief. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I'm going to give half my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I'll restore it fourfold. And Jesus says to him today, Salvation has come to this house because he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man, which is Jesus, came to seek and save that which was lost. We see this clear, clear discipleship pathway of how we invite people into this moment. And I want to take a moment to run through what Jesus does here because this is a good lesson for us. This is discipleship. We study how Jesus did ministry and, and how he commanded his disciples to do ministry. So the first thing I want to look at was Jesus was looking for people that God was already, already at work in. When it says he looked up and saw, that word for saw in the Greek is ido, and it actually means to perceive with the eyes, to notice, to discern, to discover. It wasn't like Jesus was walking along. He's like, oh, there's a guy up a tree. That's weird. He was like looking and he sees him and he's discerning. What's God doing with that guy? Jesus is walking around in his ministry. He's looking for where God is moving in people's hearts and minds. And he sees a guy up a tree and he thinks to himself, that guy's open. Who climbs a tree? Not someone who hates you. Not someone who wants nothing to do with you. He's gone out of his way to get a glimpse at Jesus. So the question is, are we looking for people who God's already at work in? You know, we can talk to someone and invite them to church if they hate Christians and they don't want to talk to you. And you're like, hey, do you want to come? It's like, no. 
It's like, yeah, fair enough. But who is God working in? Who are those people in your life that God is moving, that are curious, that are willing to listen and be in relationship with you, that you could extend that invitation? Just think, what if we were a people, a church, that were constantly looking out, discerning, where is God at work? And it's putting our energy into that. Secondly, Jesus was not subject to popular opinion. Now, Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector, and he was like the chief tax collector, which was even worse. And the tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people because they were Jews who collected taxes for the Romans. So they were classed as traitors, and they were absolutely hated. They were shunned by society. But Jesus is not subject to popular opinion. Jesus is not looking around going, tax collector, you're not going to get my grace. Jesus is looking out. He doesn't care about the identity that being tagged with. He's looking out going, where's God working? Is that what we do? Or do we, are we subject to the way people are labeled? Do we look at someone and go, ah, oh, and label them before we even get to know them? Or should we be like Jesus and looking out going, it doesn't matter what the world labels you. God wants to have a relationship with you. What if we were a people that didn't get sucked into labels that got sucked into what God believes. And this is the next one. Jesus acted out of his belief in the face of persecution. It says, when they saw it, they complained, saying, he's going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. This is Jesus inviting him in, and they start just complaining at him. You're not a holy man. If you're a holy man, you wouldn't go and hang out with this guy. Look at you. Are you fair income? This is the persecution that Jesus got, but he had a belief in his heart. He knew God's purpose and God's plan. And he was steadfast. He didn't go, oh, yeah, maybe I won't go and hang out with him. He's like, I'm coming to your place. Let's go. Do we get swayed by the ways of the world? Do we worry about what people think about us? Do we worry about what people are going to say about us because of our faith? What if we were people that weren't worried about what people said? that we were so steadfast in our faith that we knew the heart of God and we were willing to sacrifice for that. And the next thing Jesus did was bring Zacchaeus close. He invited him into relationship. Invited him into relationship by sharing a meal, staying with him, getting him into community with his disciples. And what this did was it opened up. It opened up this opportunity for Zacchaeus to hear the kingdom of God. It says Zacchaeus made haste and came down Come down, and for today, I must stay at your house. He's like, I want to do life with you. I want to sit with you. I want to find out who you are, what your fears are, and then I want to bring the kingdom of God in to that moment. Are we like that? Do we extend the invitation for people to come and come into relationship with us? What if we were a people that we didn't see labels, we were looking for where God was moving, and we invited people in for the opportunity to show them the love of Jesus Christ? And then Jesus extends grace to anyone who repents and believes. We see Zacchaeus, he repents, he says, Lord, look, I'll give back, I'll give half to the poor and I'll give back fourfold. Whatever I've taken, I I recognize that I've sinned. Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. You see, this is Jesus' strategy to invite people into relationship. And the beautiful thing is it ends in salvation. It ends in someone giving their life to Christ. What would happen if we adopted this strategy? What would happen if we were a people that invited others in to know this loving and grace-filled God? You know what? If we put out 10 invitations, even if we only got one response, one is way better than none. 
because that one person's life has been changed for eternity. And here's a clear example of how we can actually gather people to Jesus and to his church. It's an example for his disciples and for us. You see, this act of Jesus was a massive challenge to the Jews and the religious people of the time. Jesus was actually challenging. He was challenging their heart because their heart was judgmental. Their heart was full of pride going, well, we deserve salvation, but these group of people don't. And therefore, they didn't engage with certain people in society. So Jesus points that out, challenges it straight to them. He challenges the fact that they don't care about the lost, that they just like to have their little holy huddle. And the church is a little bit the same as the religious people in Jesus' time. We love our holy huddles, right? It's awesome to hang out with other Christians. We love our Christian friends and circles, and sometimes we have little to do with the lost. We're comfortable to keep our faith personal. We, we don't share it. A lot of people don't even know we're Christians because there'd be nothing in what we say or do that would even reveal that. We say things like, hey, you never talk about religion or politics, just don't bring it up. Like, let's just not go there. The question is, why do we struggle with this? Why do we struggle to gather people to gospel, to invite them to church or invite them into relationship with Jesus? I think there are many factors, but the main ones are we don't know Jesus' command that we're all called to be fishers of people. Secondly, we don't know God's word, and therefore we can't articulate the gospel. And the biggest one is fear. So the first one, we don't know or believe Jesus' commands that all of us are actually called to be fishers of people because we've watered down the gospel to this personal salvation and that's it. We've made the gospel that, well, well I'm saved, I've been forgiven, so that's the end of the story. But that's not where the story of the gospel finishes. The gospel is a transformation of heart and mind. The gospel doesn't finish at the moment of salvation. It actually continues into a calling. It continues into a mission that we would be disciples that make disciples. And this commission is to all believers, not just pastors and, you know, those crazy Christians that are a little bit too passionate that we like to stay away from. We're not saved for ourselves. We are born again into a new life and a new purpose. One of those purposes is to invite others into relationship with God. We are actually transformed into fishers of men and women. If we're truly saved and transformed, there should be this desire in our heart for those that are not saved, just like we see in the ministry of Jesus. What if we were a church full of the Holy Spirit, full of the transformation that he brings and have a heart for the lost like Jesus does? This leads me to the second point. We might have a heart for the lost, but... We don't know God's word and therefore we can't actually articulate the gospel or give a good reason why someone would accept the invitation to come to church with you. You know, we live in a time where we have so much access to Christian content, to the Bible, but we struggle to articulate our own faith. And when someone asks us, why do you believe such rubbish? We freeze with no response, right? Because why would someone accept our invitation if we can't even express ourselves why we believe? But then again, if we look at the life of Jesus, we look at the disciples in the Bible, they are steadfast in their faith. They have no problem. They could articulate why they believe the gospel. And most of the time, it was just articulating what God had done in their life, and that was open to others to receive. So maybe that's it. Maybe it's just sharing your testimony. Maybe it's just taking opportunity when people are struggling or upset. You can share why you're not struggling or upset or why you have peace. And invite people into that relationship. 
Maybe we just need to sit down, take some time, and think to myself, how would I clearly and simply articulate the gospel to someone? What if we were a people that could do that? They could just simply tell people about the love and the mercy of Christ. And the last one is, we're afraid, we're actually paralyzed by fear. And fear is one of the strongest emotions in the human heart. We have this fear of rejection or looking like a fool or a religious freak. And I must admit, I've got to confess, there are times where I'm afraid. Like, I love talking about Jesus, but there are times where I'm like, oh, should I step in here and, and, and invite them? Or should I step in here and say something about my life that, that Jesus has changed? Like, I'm afraid. And I'm praying to God that that would go away. But not my wife. She's not afraid at all. She invites anyone at any time. Like, we'll just be talking and saying, you should come to church. I'm like, whoa, like, where did that come from? There wasn't even an opening. And I feel like I have to, like, oh, apologize and go, oh, no, it's okay. You don't have to come if you don't want to. I'm like, hang on. <clears throat> where is that? Why is that in my heart? My wife sees a tiny gap and she just shoots for it. She's going for it. I love that. And Jesus wasn't afraid of the crowd because Jesus was driven by love and truth. You see, love and truth, genuine love, casts out all fear. What if we were a movement of people that were driven by love? When we're looking out at people, it's the love that drives us out of fear. And if Jesus was right here, right now in Kulangata, walking the streets like he was back then, he would be going around teaching people. He'd be making disciples, but he'd be focused on gathering the lost. He would not be focused on making this congregation comfortable. In fact, he'd probably make us uncomfortable because he'd be challenging us to live holy lives. He'd be calling us to go. He'd be challenging us to know the gospel message and he would be expecting us to reach out to the lost and gather them to the gospel. Jesus would be teaching us to take up our cross and follow him. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said to his disciples, he says to us, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You know, David preached an amazing message just on this passage a while back. You can go back in our archives and listen to it. But what's he saying here? He's saying, you know what? To follow me, to be a disciple of mine, there are going to be sacrifices. There are going to be struggles. To follow me, you're going to have to take up your cross and sacrifice a few things. But when we come into the heart and the will of God, it is a beautiful experience. Following Jesus is discipleship. See what Jesus does, and we're called to do the same. And to follow Jesus is to have a heart for the lost, to have a heart for people to come and know and be transformed by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> the problem is, I think, the Western church has fallen into a little bit of consumerism, where Christians go to church to receive a product, not to be transformed into fishes of people. We look for the most comfortable church, with good aircon, a good sound system, church that doesn't ask too much of us, but that preaches a really nice, uplifting message so I can go home and feel good about myself. That's not the Jesus way. Jesus challenged the Pharisees. Jesus challenged the Jewish people. Jesus challenged his disciples to see the true heart and nature of God, to come in line with the heart of God, and God's heart is for the lost. God wills that none should perish, but all should come to repentance and faith in Christ. Jesus' whole mission, the whole reason why he came, came in the flesh and died on the cross, was to seek and save the lost. We see that in verse 9 of our story today. 
salvation has come to this house. For the Son of Man, that is Jesus, has come to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus' whole mission, his whole mandate was to restore us back into relationship with himself. That's why he came in human flesh. He came to suffer, to die, to absorb the sin of the entire world. And in, through his resurrection in victory over sin and death and Satan, restore us lost back into the relationship with God. That's Jesus' whole mission. If that's Jesus' whole mission, what should our whole mission be? You know, when I was in chaplaincy, I was a chaplain for two years in aged care, in palliative care up in Brisbane. And um, <clears throat> people go in there and they, they pass away. And when someone comes in, I've got to go in and do a spiritual report. So I introduce myself. I ask if there's any way that I can serve them and love them and support them in this time of their life. And I went into this run room, and his name was Bob. And he goes, I said, hey, I'm the chaplain. Love to know um, how I can serve you and ask a few questions. He goes, get out. He goes, I don't want you in here. I don't want to talk to you. I'm like, no worries. I get out. And then over the year while he was there, There'd be stuff out in the common area that I would be running and he'd be there. There'd be coffee and stuff that we'd serve. And over time, I got to know him and he was willing to talk to me to a point where I was walking past his room and he'd go, Scott. And I'd walk in and, and we'd just have a chat. And I remember one day he was getting to the end of his life and I was walking. It was Friday afternoon. It was late. I'm like, I'm going home and I'm walking down the hallway. And I felt a prompting from God. He said, go and, go and see Bob. And I'm like, oh, no, it's like so late. It's Friday, Arvo. Like I sit in traffic forever to get back down the Gold Coast. I'll do it another day. I'm having this like argument with God, right? Because I go in there. I'm like, oh, righto. So I go in and I see him. And, and there's a moment when you work in that industry, you understand this is the end of life. There's not much time left. And so I knelt down next to him. And I said, Bob, can you look at me in the eyes? And he looked me in the eyes. I said, I've got something to tell you. You know I care for you. I care for your soul deeply, mate. I said, I need to tell you about my, about my Savior and what he's done for me. How I walked away from God and I did all these things, but through his grace and his mercy, he forgave me of all my sin. And I told the basic gospel to him and I said, and you know what? God's got his hand out in reconciliation right now for you. I know God wants to forgive you. All you need to do is, is repent, mate. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for you because of his great love. And he was at a stage where he couldn't speak. And so I said, if you want to pray this prayer with me in your heart, just pray it. I'm going to pray it out loud. You pray in your heart. So I started to pray. And he started to try and talk. So he was like, uh, like that. Now, I don't know if he was just telling me to get out or shut up. <laughs> Could have been. Or if he was trying to pray that prayer. I don't know. So I left that room and I get a phone call the next day that Bob had passed away. And I remember, gets me every time. I just remember thinking, God, you are so amazing. That someone could reject you their entire life and in that very last moment, you are still extending your hand. And you're using broken people like me. 
I could have walked past that opportunity. But God was still calling him a lost son home. Now, I don't know if I'll see him in heaven. I pray I do. But we can't forget that there was a time when we were lost, that we were separate from Christ. And if it wasn't for someone inviting us into a relationship with Jesus, we would still be there. This sermon isn't about being a good Christian or feeling like I have to do this. It's a heart transformation. We need to be transformed by the gospel to desire the same thing God desires. And God desires the lost. He has a heart for the lost. I think some of us have been Christians so long, we've lost the vision of the kingdom of God. We've been so battered and smashed by the world. We've been so molded by the worldly systems. We've forgot God's heart. But he's actually calling us back into his will. If we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we will have the same desires of God and we'll actually be convicted of our part to play in the redemptive work of God in the world. God wants to use you. You might say to him, well, Scott, I don't have the talents like you. I can't get up and speak. I can't do what others do. You know what? We've put way too many people up on the pedestal. We all have gifts and talents. God has spiritually gifted each and every one of us. And the one up on stage is no better than the one out the back. Moving chairs. We are called as a church body to come together and use our gifts and talents for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Are you willing? Will you surrender your talents to Jesus? And we're called to use whatever talents we have for the sake of the kingdom of God. Imagine if we're a church full of people that brought all their talents together to see God's kingdom grow. And one way that we do that is through Alpha. You'll hear us talking about Alpha all the time because Alpha is near to the heart of God. And we as a church, it's our primary way that we reach out into the community. It's our evangelistic tool to reach out to the lost. And so to tell us more about that, we're going to watch a video on the screen. As we renew our commitment to discipleship, we remember the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, that He has come to seek and save the lost. And we want to join Him in that mission. And for us at New Life, we prioritize gathering the lost through the great ministry of Alpha. Alpha provides an environment where people feel comfortable to come to a place, whether it's in person or online, to ask the big questions of life. You know, there's this story that Jesus shares in the Gospels that I really love. It's the story of a good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go after the one lost sheep. And the story reveals the heart of God for those that don't know Him. He wants to run after them with a pursuing love. And as we commit to gathering the lost as a church, we want to provide for you an accessible way by which you can participate in God's good mission. And it's this, inviting people to Alpha. We don't want to be a church that simply sees people from other churches come and visit. We don't want to be a movement that shuffles people from church to church. We want to be a church that is going after people who don't yet know Jesus. We literally want to be a church that sees more people more like Jesus. I guess before Jesus, I thought I had it all together. I was very much in touch with and aware of like the spiritual realm. I just didn't realize that in actuality, I was lost and there was something missing that I was chasing. 
I decided to start researching into it and kind of just all unfolded. So what Christine had researched was that the foundation of New Age spiritualism was actually rooted in Satanism, um, which was a big, big shock to us. We kept researching after that and that actually led my sister to Jesus Christ. I just slowly came to the conclusion that if Satan is real, then God and Jesus are real. And then we decided to pray to God for the truth and it just, it all unveiled. And that weekend, um, we just knew 100% with full conviction that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that there was a God. I'm crying. <laughs> um, yeah, we, it was the most amazing <laughs> experience I've ever had. I think we spent the first, we both did the first week just crying with gratitude and humbleness that he had pulled us out of the darkness that we thought that was light, that he had chosen to save us with just the mere question of what the truth was. So my sister Cass joined Alpha. I loved it from, from the very first week. I actually looked forward to it every um, week, going and meeting the community of people, hearing everyone's testimonies and stories and um, the videos which always just spoke to me and what was going on in my life or what I needed to hear. It really helped me kind of in, I was in such a, the beginning stages of my faith and just to have that community of, um, in such a non-judgmental space to really share and um, speak about my own story. It was, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. So what is Alpha? Alpha is an eight-week journey of exploring the answers to life's biggest questions in a non-judgmental and fun environment. And our Alpha leadership team have prayerfully and boldly come up with the vision of seeing 10,000 people come through Alpha by 2026, and at least 25% of those people coming to know Jesus. This is a dream that will require the involvement of our entire church. And it begins with prayer and a personal commitment to invitation. This is your chance to partner with the Holy Spirit and play a part in the mission of seeing more people more like Jesus. We are so excited to see what God does through Alpha across New Life churches this year. So that young chap that you saw at the end there, that is Calvin. He is running Alpha across all of our churches. But here's the thing. At Alpha, when we do it face to face, it's very similar to the story we see of Zacchaeus. People are invited, we come, we share a meal together, we do community, we get to know each other, we watch a gospel-centered message around some part of the Christian faith up on the screen, we break up into groups and we discuss it, and as we've seen there, some people put their faith and trust in Jesus, we see salvations at the end. So as Jesus invited Zacchaeus, we can invite and I want to challenge us as a community to, to actually pull our talents, to gather together, to see Alpha 
grow. He said 10,000 people. When they told me that a couple of weeks ago, I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay, that is a big number. We can't do that on our own. We need to gather together as a community. So we're asking, what can you bring? What talents can you bring to Alpha? Each and every one of us can at least invite someone. You'll see a card out in the foyer if you want to grab one. It's about Alpha. You can give it to people to invite. But on the back, you'll notice there's three positions. We can write down three people where we believe God is already at work and start praying for them and start praying for the courage that we might be able to invite them to Alpha. You could be a leader on Alpha and and lead one of our discussion groups or be a co-leader if you want to learn what that's like and then possibly lead later. We need people on tech or people to cook the meals that we, that we serve and provide or help set up. Maybe you haven't got the time. Maybe you can give financially to Alpha that we would see people come to know Jesus. But we all can pray. We can all pray, can pray that God would draw people to Himself. I want to challenge our community to get behind Alpha because I believe that it is the heart of God that we would seek seek the lost and invite them in. What if we were a church sold out for things like Alpha that we'd see people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? So the question is, how are you gathering people to the gospel? Gathering people to Jesus' church? Gathering people into personal relationship? What talents do you have that God could use that you could say, God, here are my talents. How do you want me to use them? And is your heart in line with the heart of God. Hear the words of our Lord Jesus. He says, I will, I will make you fisher of people. And we're actually going to enter into a week of prayer and fasting this week. It starts tomorrow. I'd really like to invite you in to fast and pray with us that we would see these four priorities become a reality in our church, that we would see more people more like Jesus. If you're sitting there going, fast for a week? Are you crazy? You don't have to fast from food all week. Maybe you just make the commitment, I'm not going to eat lunch each day this week. And I'm actually going to separate that time, spend that time in prayer, in fasting and and asking God, God, what are you asking me to do? How are you asking me to get engaged in gathering the lost? And you have a card that we gave you on the way and it's just a new life card. There's nothing on the back. And maybe in that time of prayer or fasting, you can write things down that God is calling you to do because it's a lovely idea but unless we put things in step to actually fulfill then it just stays as a lovely idea maybe you can't fast food because of medical conditions what if you fasted social media like last year I deleted all social media off my phone so usually if I was sitting there if I'm waiting for a doctor or whatever I would whip my phone out now I'm like okay I've got nothing else to do how about I pray how about I look around the room and just start praying for people in the room maybe It's social media. Maybe it's Netflix. Whatever it is, there's something that you can fast from and spend that time seeking God. You may be sitting there and you might be like, lost, that's a bit derogatory. Why are you calling me lost? It's not that at all. It's actually a term of endearment. Jesus tells this story. He has 99 sheep. He says, I'm going to leave the 99 that are safe and I'm going to go after that one lost sheep, my sheep that is lost. Jesus says, that sheep is so important to me. I'm going to leave all you by yourself. And God is reaching out today and saying, I'm searching for you. I want to come back into relationship with you. I want to pull you back 
into the flock. So would you bow your head with me? You might be sitting there thinking, I never knew God would go that far to redeem me. I never knew God loved me so much that he was willing to forgive all my sin. Jesus is here. His spirit is here and he's offering you salvation right now. And if you want to receive the love and the mercy and the grace of God and the Holy Spirit, you just need to repent to say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And just pray in your heart, God, I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. And I believe you rose again in victory that now I can have relationship with you again. And say, Father, fill me with your Holy Spirit that you would transform me. And I thank you for your grace. And for those of us who are Christians here that have been Christians a long time, maybe we need to pray that God would light that fire in us again. So God, we come before you. I come before you, God. Lord, I'm racked by fear. Lord, may I be possessed by your Holy Spirit. May I be driven by love. May I be attentive to who you're working in, God. That I have the boldness to extend an invitation to people to come and know you. Set a fire in our hearts, God. Speak to us this week as we pray and as we fast. Open our ears to hear, Lord, and the power through your Spirit to obey. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.